0: The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning, and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, is known as the father of functional medicine, a medical approach that focuses on the personalized prevention and treatment of chronic diseases. Over the past 35 years, he has taught more than 100,000 healthcare practitioners about functional medicine. Dr. Bland has been a professor of biochemistry, a research director at the Linus Pauling Institute of Science and Medicine, the co-founder of the Institute for Functional Medicine and the founder-president of the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute. Dr. Jeffrey Bland has authored more than 100 scientific publications and 10 books. He's here today on Health Watch to talk about his latest one, The Disease Delusion, Conquering the Causes of Chronic Illness for a Healthier, Longer, and Happier Life. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Jeffrey Bland.
1: Dr. Neiman, thanks so much. And uh, it's wonderful to be on in the state of Oregon and the city of Portland. I have fond memories. I was a a student at the Oregon Health Sciences uh, Institute back in the 60s, and I also graduated from the University of Oregon in Eugene with my PhD. And so uh, I have a fond love for uh, the state of Oregon and certainly Portland.
0: Well, it's great having you on Health Watch. And let's start with the title of your book, The Disease Delusion. What do you mean by The Disease Delusion?
1: sounds very paradoxical and contradictory, I know, because we all know that there are diseases, so why would that be a delusion? Well, certainly not a delusion that we have diseases. I think the delusion that most of us carry is the origin of these diseases. We, we think that they're, uh, whether it's heart disease or diabetes or dementia or uh, cancer or arthritis, we think that they're locked into our genes, that we kind of inherit them. We didn't even fill out an application card. It just came from our biological heritage. And Therefore, uh, there's little we can do about it. We just um, hope that we don't get our number called. Well, that used to be the old model in the 20th century, but that's not the new model in the post-genomic age of the 21st century because we've we've, uh, discovered, and when I say we, I mean collaboratively, collectively, the world scientific and medical communities have discovered that these conditions that uh, we used to think were so genetically rooted in our heritage are really only 25 to 30% at most uh, tied uh, hardwired to our genes. The other uh, 70 to 75% of their origin really relates to the messages that we send to our genes through our lifestyle, how we eat, act, think, uh, what we consume, our environment, uh, our, our social structure, meaning there's a tremendous amount of variability in how our genes ultimately will express either health or disease. And that's an exciting story uh, because we can't change our genes, but we can certainly uh, personalize and change our lifestyle and our habit patterns to match that of our genetic strengths and minimize that of our genetic weaknesses. So the book really talks about how we revolutionize healthcare, how we don't just talk about uh, universally ex- accessible health care, but really accessible to the right kind of health care that delivers to the person the ability to free themselves up from these uh, chronic diseases that really steal from us good, good health and good life.
0: You begin the disease delusion with asking the reader to imagine the health concerns of Americans just after the Civil War, and then about to imagine the paradigm shift that happens around the turn of the century. Can you can you link that to what you, you just shared with our listeners?
1: Yes, thank you. At the turn of the last century, a most remarkable discovery occurred, and, and as you probably know historically, the mean average life expectancy at the turn of the last century going from the 19th to the 20th century, was about 45 to 50 years. And the major causes of death that stole from people their life were were infectious diseases, the the, the various plagues and and tuberculosis and and diseases for which at that time there was no known origin. And then at the turn of the century, thanks to the work of people like Louis Pasteur and Jenner and Koch and others, uh, it was discovered that these were communicable illnesses that were associated with little sub-microscopic organisms called bacteria, and and then later we discovered viruses. So these infectious diseases, once they were understood as the origin of these dominant disease patterns, then it led into uh, immunotherapy and, and immunization and, and later the development of antibiotics, which was, uh, thanks to Alexander Fleming's uh, discoveries with the Petri dish and the mold that was killing bacteria we were able to start the modern pharmaceutical industry and of course these discoveries were just uh, paradigm shifting in the in the 20th century they led to a very rapid increase in mean average life expectancy because neonatal or birthing deaths were reduced and women who are having infection after birth could be treated with antibiotics and successfully live to raise their children and so our mean average life expectancy went up in a period of just uh, a few decades from say forty five to fifty to uh, sixty five to seventy, and then we uh, got kind of high centered uh, in the middle of the twentieth century in, in which uh, we recognized that we'd done a very good job of managing these infectious diseases, but a new family of diseases were rising up to be more prevalent. These were called the chronic diseases of uh, of aging they included heart disease and, and diabetes and arthritis and cancer and, and musculoskeletal problems like osteoporosis. And these diseases weren't caused by a single bug. Uh, they weren't as easy to to treat as was um, for instance, uh, tuberculosis. Uh, once you understood the organism, you could treat it with an antibiotic. In this case, the diseases which we are now afflicted by required a different model, a new paradigm shift, a new breakthrough in discovery. And that discovery has happened over the last twenty five years with the understanding that these are complex disorders that really relate to the way a person's own genes respond to their environment. And, therefore, the concept of personalized lifestyle health care is emerging in the 21st century that will be as big a, a breakthrough in improving people's health and reducing unnecessary disease and increasing life expectancy, I believe, as was the development of infectious disease in the 20th century.
0: So, So because chronic diseases have don't have a single cause and have a more complex symptom picture than acute infectious diseases. And you're arguing they require a different thinking process, a systems approach to to dealing with them. And you believe that paradigm shift is going on now. But isn't it true also that, that uh, most doctors right now are not operating under that new paradigm, that if you go to see your doctor for a, uh, uh, complex chronic degenerative disease you might still be treated with the same one size fits all one medicine for one symptom approach
1: yes i think that is really the um, the, the transition that we're undergoing right now in thinking if we could use the model that you were asking about uh, the infectious disease model if you think of what happened at the turn of the last century that when, when, uh, when these uh, infectious organisms were first discovered, there were a few people that were enlightened and understood about this and introduced sanitation, hygiene, and nutrition, and then later immunotherapy and, and finally antibiotics. And they were the kind of people that were the early adopters. They, they're the ones that got the benefit of this new information. For the average person in the population, however, because of the nature of how long it takes for information to translate into clinical practice and medicine, it may have been 20 years before they actually got the benefit of this uh, of this new information and so they were still being treated by the old model in medicine which was uh, using arsenicals and using mercurials and and talking about the poor humors of moist and hot and cold and dry and and these were the, the concepts that they held onto until there was this major kind of paradigm shift and I think we're undergoing that same assist, uh, kind of transition right now with, with medicine the, uh, the textbooks that medical doctors are being trained from today uh, in the main are out of date by the time that the student is already uh, studying from them. The, uh, uh, the, the turning over of this information is so rapid. Every three to five years we're doubling the information that relates to the understanding of the origin of these uh, chronic diseases. And therefore there are these enlightened members of the medical community that have had advantage to understand these concepts and are delivering it to their patients. And then there there are those that are still working under the convention of what I would consider 20th century medicine, which is a pill for an ill mentality, you know, look at the symptom, treat the symptom with a specific drug to to modify the symptom, but not actually treat the underlying cause. And I think this is what I'm trying to get to in the disease delusion, trying to bring to the reader's attention that these tools that can actually... um, rid people of unnecessary chronic disease, are available today. They can be implemented today. We don't have to wait for more studies. We don't have to wait for more science. We don't have to wait for more bodies of esteemed individuals to uh, convene and, and ultimately proclaim these to be uh, good ideas. They are there today. We just have to understand them and start applying them, and that's what the book is, uh, is all about.
0: Well, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today to Dr. Jeffrey Bland about his new book, The Disease Delusion. Conquering the Causes of Chronic Illness for a Healthier, Longer, and Happier Life. So, so Dr. Bland, why don't you uh, speak briefly to what a systems approach is, the idea that both one underlying cause can lead to different disorders and two people with the same disorder could have different causes to their disorder?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Let me use an example that came up just uh, in the last few days um, in in a a patient that I think uh, exemplifies this concept. Um, So I uh, was at a very large medical meeting that was involved with functional medicine, and I had uh, uh, one of the the members of the Institute for Functional Medicine, a physician, come up to me and say that they had just uh, had a a very important uh, application of this uh, this concept of systems thinking in medicine, in which they had a patient. Who was developing dementia, and uh, that patient had been to see very top-notch neurologists and uh, really getting the best of medical treatment to treat their uh, their dementia with various medications that are available, but uh, that there had really not been much improvement at all. In fact, if anything, there was a continued progression uh, of dementia in this uh, individual. So um, the daughter of this uh, this uh, her father then. Uh, sought out the care of a functional medicine physician and uh, who really is trained in this whole concept of systems thinking and medicine. And in the evaluation, of course, it uh, was still recognized that uh, the, the gentleman had uh, progressive dementia. But rather than just think of this as the brain as the origin of disease, the question is where did it come from? What was the cause of this dementia? And uh, not to go through all the lengthy discussion, but to cut to the chase, Ultimately, it was determined that the the cause of this dementia or the uh, loss of brain function started actually in the intestinal tract. The the intestinal tract is where more than 50% of the body's immune system is to be found, and it turned out that this person's intestinal immunity was reacting adversely to a component in their diet. That component we've heard a lot about recently is called gluten. It's a family of proteins that are found in cereal grains. And in some people, those gluten-containing grain uh, proteins, are considered a foreigner. They're considered a, a hostile invader. And so the immune system of the intestinal tract in those individuals can respond by going to battle, going to war, producing inflammatory substances. Those inflammatory substances may not be found solely in the intestines. They get into the blood. They travel through the blood, ultimately through a relay race through the body's immune system, and they travel to the brain, where they, the brain has its own immune system called the microglia. The, the brain's immune system is conne- connected to the blood's immune system, which is connected to the liver's immune system, which is connected to the intestines' immune system. So they all talk together. So when the, the intestines are upset and producing uh, these inflammatory materials, ultimately the brain immune system, which is the microglia, gets that message. And in this case, uh, that gentleman was getting an inflammatory message sent to his brain, through what ultimately started in the gut as a foreign reaction to gluten. So the treatment was not just to treat the brain. The treatment was to treat the gluten-induced inflammatory situation in the gut, which means a gluten-free diet, uh, to proper dietary uh, control and, and reformulation. And lo and behold, over a very short period of time, a matter of just a few months, this progressive dementia that had been going on for several years uh, turned the other way, um, his short-term memory improved, his recall improved, his conversational ability improved, and it was, you know, quote, uh, according to the daughter, a miracle. Well, it really wasn't a miracle. He was just asking a different question about the origin of his dementia to get a different answer, and that's what uh, the book, The Disease Illusion, tries to help the reader understand, how you, as a person, can ask the right questions not just about why you have certain things, but where they came from and what you can do about it to treat the cause, not just the effect.
0: And so taking that logic further, it would also be a mistake to take the lesson of that patient with dementia due to uh, a gluten intolerance and apply that same answer to the next patient with dementia, that the next patient with dementia, may the cause may be blood sugar uh, abnormality or maybe environmental toxicity, for instance.
1: That, that Thank you. That's beautifully said. And and that is really the lesson of, of what I'm trying to get across in the book. We have certain things that we call diseases. Uh, and, and we assume somehow that when we can call a person or we can name a person having a certain disease, let's take type 2 diabetes as an example. So if that type 2 diabetes is seen in Mr. Jones, we make the assumption that Mrs. Smith, who has the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, must be the same in her disease as that of Mr. Jones. Well, it turns out that although we may call these diseases the same thing, the the condition of Mr. Jones and Mrs. Smith, that in actual fact, they may have very, very different causes for their blood sugar problems that we call type 2 diabetes. And the treatment for Mr. Jones to manage his diabetes may be very different than the treatment for Mrs. Smith to manage her same diagnosis, type 2 diabetes. And this is the, uh, I think, tremendous breakthrough that we're having in the 21st century. I use a little statement when I talk to doctors. They say, medicine is for real people. Statistical humans are of little interest. Now, why does that sound, you know, kind of uh, simplistic, but maybe important? Well, most of us that go to medical school learn a lot about statistical humans, uh, what we call 70 kilogram weight individuals, the average person. And we then develop standards of practice around treatment of these average people, as if most people, given a certain drug or a certain treatment protocol, will respond pretty much the same. Well, over the last uh, 20 years, as we've learned much more about genetic diversity at the biochemical level and what are called uh, genetic polymorphisms, it's become more recognized that there's a vast array of difference from person to person, much greater than we used to think at the cellular and physiological level. Therefore, the 21st century is the age of the individual, not the age of the average patient. It's the age of personalization. And the book really tries to help the reader through the uh, uh, chapters that have uh, these various questionnaires to understand about their own unique situation, not just to be an average person, but what they are uniquely based on their genes and their response to their environment so that they can actually make the program designed to their needs, not some mythical average person
0: we 're talking today with Dr. Jeffrey Bland, the author of the disease delusion you 're listening to health watch uh, dr bland let 's talk about some of the uh, different ways that you divide the book you You divide the book into seven physiological processes, seven ways we can assess the way our body is functioning well or not functioning well to figure out what sort of treatments to put together regardless of the disease. So one of the one of the sections is called detoxification and it, it's an interesting section partially because it's an area of medicine that I don't think most conventional doctors confront in any way but it also shows the the diversity between individuals on how well we detoxify given substances, some, uh, something that we inherit genetically. Uh, one person could be very good at detoxifying caffeine and another person might be very uh, have a lot of trouble with caffeine, for instance.
1: Yeah, I think Dr. Nyman, you're again uh, really picking out some very important parts of the book uh, that translate um, what I call news to use for the average reader. We have assumed uh, <clears throat> that people are fairly consistent in the way they respond to environmental exposures or to various uh, toxic substances that might be in food or water or air and, and or drugs um, and that is about as far from the truth as, as one can imagine in fact uh, these abilities that people have to detoxify foreign substances have now been found to vary from person to person by a factor of a thousand in some cases meaning and this is I think a kind of a profound thing I'm going to say that the same exposure dose of a specific drug or chemical in one person may impart a thousandfold higher activity in another person. The same level of that drug for their body may have a thousandfold different level of activity than another person based on the difference they have in their genes as to how they detoxify and, and eliminate that, that toxic substance. So when we start to talk about um, the yellow canary syndrome, which is, I think, a, kind of an analogy, remember the coal miners going down into the coal taking a canary because the canary was very sensitive to uh, carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide in the air, and when they got sick and died in the cage, the the miners knew to run out very quickly. Well, there are a lot of yellow canary people who are responding to various environmental substances. It could be disphenol A in the water. It could be various pesticide residues. It could be lead or cadmium that they get in their air or water. Uh, that may be much more sensitive yellow canary response based on their different detoxification systems than uh, another individual in fact even within the same family you might find sibs or different members of the family who vary dramatically in the the way they detoxify certain substances and I think this is further made interesting because extraordinary amounts of research over the last uh, 15 years has uh, demonstrated that these detoxification processes, many of them, are very dependent upon certain nutrients for their activity. So if a person is nutrient-deprived or is not consuming a diet that's adequate in specific types of nutrients, that their detoxification systems may be very compromised and that makes them even more sensitive to environmental exposures. And so when you start to put these things together, you start to recognize that maybe people who are tired, fatigued, headaches, muscle pain of unknown origin, are really suffering from what I call a degree of of, um, metabolic poisoning. It's a low level of chronic poisoning because they're just not able to detoxify adequately the substances that they're being exposed to due to uh, both their genetic uniqueness and their kinds of diets that they're on. And so the chapter that's engaged in uh, discussing detoxification, I think it's Chapter 5 in the book, really takes a person through an understanding of how are they responding to their environment, what things might they be concerned about, improve their uh, functional detoxification ability. So uh, I, I'm hopeful that that uh, will give some kind of tips and, uh, and pointers that, you know, we really suffer, many of us, from this chronic underlying toxicity that truly is uh, preventable and manageable by just asking different questions.
0: And we should say that all, all of these chapters give specific dietary supplement and exercise advice for each of these physiological processes that you, you end up assessing.
1: Yes, and I, I I should probably mention you know why aren't these seven what we call core physiological processes? I mean, aren't there a lot more things going on in the body other than seven things? And of course there are. There are literally thousands of things going on in our body all the time. The reason that uh, we chose these seven core physiological processes, of which detoxification is, is one of the seven, was that after sifting uh, literally tens of thousands of scientific publications in the basic uh, biomedical and and medical research uh, files over the last uh, now 30 years, they sift down into what we consider these seven piles, uh, seven different core physiological processes that underlie the uh, disturbances of these uh, seven core physiological processes, underlie uh, virtually all of the chronic diseases. So there are many variations on a theme, and there are many other processes, but it is our belief uh, from evaluating tens of thousands of uh, research papers over the past uh, 30 years that these seven core physiological processes are kind of the, the go-to parts of the body that, re- that are the master control systems that regulate how our bodies respond to our lifestyles, our environment, and, and our um, relationships, uh, including stress. So it's those seven uh, in each individual chapter that we try to focus on to help a person understand where the big tu- tuning knobs are or let's call it the big levers are, where they can make uh, positive changes in their health.
0: And, and Dr. Bland, even though people should be thinking about this as personalized medicine, are, is there a baseline diet or a baseline supplement protocol that you start from and then personalize from that place?
1: Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, it's this can sound very confusing, and I, I, I think when you get to Like any discipline, the very sophisticated levels, yes, it can be confusing. But it actually starts out quite simple, and that is a baseline dietary approach, a baseline activity or exercise approach, a baseline stress management approach. Uh, And so in chapter, I think it is 10 of the book, I try to to lay out what I consider from all the work that we've done and published in the literally, um, I would hate to even estimate, let's say thousands of conversations I've had with leaders in the field around the world in my Six million miles of travel over the last 30 years. That 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 we try to lay out a a kind of a let's start here. You know what? uh, Let's get 80% of the problem uh, improved by starting with a baseline diet and lifestyle program, and then in chapters 11, 12, and 13, we try to provide the nuances. Okay, now let's start personalizing it. Let's let's keep it simple. This is the old kiss concept, but let's start adding a little bit more sophistication that's built on a person's own individual needs. So, yes, I think as I say, a, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a first step. So, chapter ten is really designed to help us make the first step, and then chapters eleven, twelve, and thirteen to try to make those steps as efficient and effective as possible.
0: Could you? Uh, and we only have a couple of minutes left today, unfortunately. I wish we we had another half hour, but do do could you touch on maybe some of something new that we've learned? Recently, about exercise or diet that would pique people's interest.
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about exercise. I think because it t- does tie to diet. Uh, you know, there are some people who uh, just feel so robust and so energetic after they um, they go for a run or a, or a, a long bike bicycle ride, and and you know, for them it's the elixir of life. And there are other people who have been, have been told that this should be their elixir of life, and when they go out, they come back and they're uh, they've got sore muscles for the next two days. They're they're worn out and tired. They they don't feel uplifted. So then we say, well, wh- what's really going on? And uh, I think it's chapter nine of the book. I talk about this concept of bioenergetics, how you design an exercise and nutrition program to support your specific need. Not everybody is is built from a genetic perspective up to be a long distance runner or a uh, a marathon trainer. Uh, there are some people that are much better for uh, short-burst uh, high-energy activities, uh, differentiating the fast-twitch versus the slow-twitch muscle groups. And there are various types of uh, nutrients that help to support the, the bioenergetics, the conversion of food energy into muscle energy to um, prevent muscle pain and, and to gain back muscle energy and, and muscle strength. So I think that what we're learning about exercise physiology is, once again, the same thing we learn in nutrition. One size doesn't fit all. We have to uh, uh, basically understand a little bit about our genetic uniqueness, uh, about where we are on the training uh, cycle and and our own conditioning level, and then we have to uh, design our programs specifically to uh, to meet those needs so we can walk ourselves towards uh, optimal health and fitness. So uh, I think... One of the things that we try to do is integrate together the concept of exercise, stress management, and nutrition built around certain uh, indicators that we've determined over the last 20 or 30 years are very important in personalizing the program. And, and again, those are found in the, in the eight questionnaires that we've included within the, the book. That are the questionnaires we've used in the clinic for several decades that help us to assess uh, how that individual really needs to have their particular program designed.
0: And you mentioned that nutrition isn't a one-size-fits-all, and that's certainly the most controversial topic that we talk about on Health Watch with tons of contradictory guest uh, guest opinions. Are there tests to figure out what an individual's uh, diet composition should be different than the the norm?
1: Yes, there definitely are. I, I think it first starts, however, before you get into complex and expensive testing, into just asking the right questions because we can get a tremendous amount of information from just reading our bodies without any kind of laboratory testing or you know, physiological testing, just learning how to read our bodies. And, and that's one of the things that I try to do in the book is to bring some of these questions, uh, how, to, how to read the thumbprint of our own body uh, or the fingerprint of our own body before we have to start relying upon more sophisticated uh, blood tests or physiological or physical testing. And I think there's a tremendous amount of information that's accessible very inexpensively and actually free and uh, and uh, can be imp- applied uh, immediately once a person asks the right questions and that 's what we 've tried to do is to get a person started down this road let's let's start simple let's uh, let's start inexpensively and as their need for increased uh, in refinement or if their situation is uh, more serious in terms of their their health, and uh, we, we kind of ramp it up and give referrals at the back of the book to practitioners who are skilled in the art of functional medicine and other resource tools that they can use to um, provide whatever services they need to get the best of health.
0: Dr. Bland, unfortunately we're out of time, but it was great having you on health Watch today.
1: Thank you, Dr. Armand. I wish you and your, your listeners the very best of health.
0: We're talking today with Dr. Jeffrey Bland, the author of The Disease Delusion. You've been listening to Health Watch. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.